Well, it's our Bible reading, and it's from Philippians and chapter 2. Sunday mornings, we're just going through Philippians. Uh, We're taking rather large chunks uh, at a time, which is somewhat frustrating because we can't really get to grips with some of the details. But it's giving us a picture of what it means to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, I'm going to read it. Then we're going to sing a prayer And then we're going to come back to it. So Philippians 2 from verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, and if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. The Father. This is God's true and trustworthy word. Mark it in your Bibles. We're going to turn back to it after we've uh, sung this prayer. Well, let's turn to Philippians and chapter 2. Uh, the picture on the screen is where Philippi is located in Greece. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Relationships. Life is full of of relationships, families and friends, work and work colleagues, school and university and church life and community, and there's relationships in the clubs and the pubs and the gyms and the coffee shops. We all have relationships in different kinds of areas with different kinds of people. Uh, I read somewhere that the top 100 films of all time have one thing in common, relationships. I haven't checked that out, but I read that somewhere. And so we've all got relationships of some kind. And sometimes those relationships can be glorious, can be energizing and flourishing and bring us so much joy. But other times, those relationships can be awkward, stretched enough, just about to break and cause us heartache. And yet, people seek relationships. And Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11 is all about 
healthy relationships and how to have them. The key verse is in verse 5. This is the heart of the passage. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So here we see the place that Christ should have in our relationships. Uh, Of course, we know that the Apostle Paul is talking about relationships in the church. Though what he says here and what we're about to look at also uh, applies to relationships outside the church as well. So much of the New Testament is devoted to helping us live together in harmony and unity in the relationships in church life. And the church is the place where the people of God unite together. And we come together to worship together, to learn together, to pray together, to fellowship together, to build each other up and to strengthen and support and encourage each other. And to do those things in a really good way, we need to have healthy relationships in the church. But the Bible is very realistic And it knows that relationships can go wrong. It knows that relationships can be explosive and relationships can be difficult. And the Bible is really true and honest. So when the Apostle Paul writes his letters to some of those churches in Greece and Asia Minor, he points out to them some of the difficulties that they're having. And this, to me, is one of, the, one of the things that gives me confidence that the Bible is the word of God and true. It doesn't try to hide the mistakes of Christians or of church life. It actually acknowledges them. So when Paul writes to the Ephesians, he has to deal with difficulties in culture, the Jews and the Gentiles. When Paul writes to the Corinthians, he has to deal with difficulties of people choosing their favorite leaders and preachers. When he writes to the Romans, he has to deal with the difficulties of those who are strong in faith and weak in faith. And James has to mention the difficulties and relationships between people who have a lot of money and people who are really poor. And in Philippians, there seemed to be a difficult relationship that was having ripples throughout the church. And that's our next verse on the screen. In chapter 4, verse 2, Paul writes, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. So it seems that these ladies prominent in the church, you actually get their names written in the Bible, then Paul writes to them and says, look, just agree with each other. Be of the same mind. It's our key verse, isn't it? Philippians 2.5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mind as Christ Jesus. So... Paul is saying to these ladies and to all of us, basically, put Christ at the center of your relationships. Have his mind. If you think about church life, it is an amazing thing, but also a crazy thing as well. If you think that we're in a local church, God saves us, and he puts us in a local church, and we we can't say to God who to save and who to put in our church. <laughs> so we, we, God saves us and he puts us in a church with people that probably we'd have nothing to do with if we weren't Christians. But because we're Christians, we're put in the same church and we've got to get on with each other in unity. And we're all so very different. 
there's different backgrounds and different careers and different phases in life. And we're at different faith stages and different levels of Christian maturity. We're different ages and different generations. We're different cultures and different subcultures. We've got different education and we've been brought up differently as well. We've got different tastes and different styles and different gifts, different hopes, different fears, different ideas, different likes, different dislikes. And some roll the toothpaste from the top and some from the bottom of the tube. And some leave the toilet seat up and some put the toilet seat down and arguments begin. And we've got different football teams as well. Can it really be possible that people with all those differences can actually get on in the local church? As some uh, Christian humorist put it, to live above with saints we love, wow, that will be glory. To live below with saints we know, that's a different story. <laughs> so the Apostle Paul then, knowing that in the church at Philippi, which was... Uh, going on well, apart from the, this difficulty that was taking place, Paul writes to them and he tells them three things about how to have healthy relationships. Maybe I should rephrase that. He tells them three things as to why we can have healthy relationships. So let's look at those three things. First of all, we can have healthy relationships because we have a shared, deep Christian experience. This is in verses 1 and 2. Some very deep Christian experiences are mentioned here in verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. Paul lists there some, uh, some really great Christian experiences that every believer in Christ has. They have them as an individual, and therefore we share them as a church. If you're a believer in Jesus, these things are true of you. You are united with Christ. It's mysterious, can't be explained, but it basically means you belong to Jesus. We've got the same Savior. Then he speaks about having comfort from the love of Jesus, which is an amazing thing. And the love of Jesus is known to those who love him. And that love passes knowledge and understanding. His love cheers us and comforts us. We've got that as individuals and we've got it together. We belong to one Savior and we have the same love. And then he speaks about fellowship with the Spirit. Together as a church, we know that. As individuals, the Spirit lives within us. And as a church, we are the temple of God with the Spirit dwelling in each of us. So these are, are marvelous Christian experiences. United with Christ, knowing the love of Christ, and sharing in the Spirit of Christ. And once you've got that then the end of verse 1 becomes true. Tenderness and compassion. That's what those deep Christian experiences lead to. Tenderness and compassion. Because we've got a new heart with new sensitivities. Feel a new love for one another. See, Christianity is not a harsh thing. And church life 
is not a bitter thing. The experience we have of Christ leads to us becoming tender and compassionate towards each other. Christianity is not about having a cold morality, but about having a warmth of love and compassion. See, some religious people think that Christianity is all about morality, ritual, and works. And some, sometimes that can produce a heartless morality that is cold. And when you come up against, come up against it, it cuts you. But Christianity, true Christianity, with Christ at the center, doesn't produce a heartless, cold morality, but rather produces a tenderness and compassion for other people and an understanding of other people. So that's what deep Christian experiences do. And that, that leads then to, we see here, verse 2. Then... Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Notice the connection between verse 1 and verse 2. Verse 1 says, if, and it says if quite a few times. The if is not the if of doubt, have I, haven't I? But it's the if of certainty in order to produce the then of verse 2. If, then. So if you've got those experiences of verse 1, then verse 2 happens. Make my joy complete by being like-minded. Being like-minded doesn't mean to say that we're brainwashed. doesn't mean to say that we've gone to the, the same party briefing so that we can say exactly the same things to others. Being like-minded means that when it comes to the truth of God's word and his values, we're like-minded about them. Having the same love, the love of God. We love the same kind of things that Jesus loved. And being one in spirit, that's a unity of soul, soul with soul. Our hearts are united in very deep things. And so it all leads to the church having one purpose, one direction, the same goal. With all our different personalities, with all our different kinds of styles and gifts and likes and dislikes, yet in Christ, we are one. Though we go about the purpose of Christ in different ways, according to who we are, yet we are one. It's, it's like in, a, in an operating theater. In a serious operation, the operating theater can be a crowded place. People who are operating or who are doing the work on the patient or around the patient, they're all different, but they all have the same purpose. Fix whatever it is in the patient's body. So in an operating theater, at any time, there might be one operating department practitioner, two scrub nurses, up to two anesthetists, up to two theater support workers, up to three surgeons, and then you might have a radiologist, a clinical photographer, and students as well. All those different people, very different in backgrounds and in different situations, all working together for one reason, to try and get that person better or live longer. That's the church. 
The church is full of different people of all kinds, and we're all about the same operation, which is making Christ known. Now, that should bind us together with cords that cannot be broken, and our relationship should flourish because we have the same deep Christian experiences which lead us to having the same purpose. So relationships can be healthy and flourish because of our Christian experience. Second, the second thing that enables our relationships to be good and healthy is seen in verses 3 and 4, and it's this. Our determination not to be selfish or self-centered. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. So if we are to maintain healthy Christian relationships, then we really need to seek to be humble, self-denying people, not only thinking of ourselves, but other people. So we should seek to control our own ego. Ego can destroy relationships. Ego can destroy groups of people. Ego can destroy a football team. And ego can destroy a church. So you may have great vision for things in church life. And you may want to do so much and lead so many ministries. And that's great. But do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Unchecked enthusiasm can ruin the team that you're in. You might think you're, you're quite something. And you may be. You may be physically stronger than others. You may have more knowledge of the Bible than others. You may be more energetic than others. You may be a Christian, have been a Christian longer than others. But control your ego. Don't think you're the only person who can do the right thing. And everyone else should do it your way because they haven't got a clue about things. In humility, value others above yourselves. Crucify our egos. And think about other people and their needs and requirements. Verse 4, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So we certainly have our own interests, and we need to meet our own needs, but don't just look to them. Consider others. What's their needs? What's their interests? Put yourself in their place. Think about their world. Uh, I, I, I know this is a, a world away from the way that the world does things. The world says, me first, self first, I want my way, my interest, what I want out of this. What's my goal? Where do I want to be in 12 months' time? And I won't budge, and the other persons, they've got to do all the changing. It's not the world's way, but it's Christ's way. The way of building and keeping good, healthy relationships in the church. Valuing others above ourselves. Not doing anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Not looking to our own interests only, but each to the interests of others. How powerful is that? That is absolutely huge, those verses. And it leads us to the third and final thing. If we want, or we can have, healthy, good, flourishing relationships in the church... 
because we have the mind of Christ. Our final point, verses 5 following. Have the mind of Christ. Verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. The mindset of Christ Jesus. What, what is that? Well, it's translated differently in different Bible translations. Uh, some Bible translations simply have mind, have the same mind as Christ. Other Bible translations have attitude, have the same attitude as Christ. There's a, a new Bible translation out called the Legacy Standard Bible. Yes, we really needed a new translation, didn't we? <laughs> the Legacy Standard Bible is actually very good. It's built upon the old New American Standard Bible, which is new no longer, but old. <laughs> so the Legacy Standard Bible puts it this way. Have the same way of thinking as Christ. I think that really does sum up what this is on about and what it means. Have the same way of thinking as Jesus had. So seek to think as he thought. So it's not just WWJD, what would Jesus do? But it's also WWJT, what would Jesus think? I wonder, the mind of Christ. If you could have, just for one day, anyone's mind, whose would it be? Maybe John Calvin's, so that you could have a wonderful grasp of theology. Maybe Plato's, so that you could philosophize. Maybe Catherine Johnson, who with her mathematics was instrumental in putting people on the moon. Maybe Elon Musk to create groundbreaking new companies. Maybe Maya Angelou to write insightful poetry. Or maybe you just asked for Mr. Memory Man so you'd never forget a thing anymore. <laughs> if you could have anyone's mind, whose would it be? Paul says, have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Have his way of thinking and his attitude. So what is his way of thinking? What is the mind of Jesus? Well, we've just seen it in verses 3 and 4. Jesus did nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Jesus, in humility, valued other people above himself. And Jesus did not just look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's the mind of Jesus. That's his way of thinking. But also in the next verses here, after verse 5, verses 6, 7, and 8, the mindset of Jesus is spelt out for us. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's how the mind of Jesus worked itself out in his life. So it's a mind-blowing comparison in verses 6 and 7. Verse 6, Christ Jesus, who is in the very nature of God, verse 7, made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And this was Jesus' two natures in one person at one and the same time. So when he came to earth, he didn't stop being God. He remained God, but became a human being. He never ceased to be God. He was always God, 
He stayed in the nature of God. But he took to himself the nature of a human being. And that nature was to serve. Look how much he valued others above himself. Verse 7. When he became a human being, he was made in human likeness. And that, again, is amazing. Because Jesus existed in eternity past. He existed before the world began or before time started. Jesus has always existed. But there came a point in history when Caesar Augustus ruled the Roman world and Quirinius was governor of Syria and King Herod was in Jerusalem. There came a point when Jesus was found in appearance as a man or a baby boy in Bethlehem. And he lived as a human being on the face of this earth with all the restraints of a human being, with all the frustrations of a human being, with all the needs of a human being for food and sleep and tiredness. And he was misunderstood and he suffered and he cried and he bled and he died. Why? Because in humility, he valued others more than himself, above himself. And he looked then to our own interests. Verse 7, he took the very nature of a servant. Now, servants in those days were just about nothing. The Roman Empire had many, many slaves. And slaves had no rights, no legal property. They were overlooked, they were used, and they were abused. They were nothing. And hence you read in verse 7 that Jesus took the very nature of a servant, making himself nothing. As God became man, he didn't exploit the situation to his own advantage. But he became nothing in order to serve us. And serve us he did. You read the Gospels and you see that he didn't use his divine powers for himself, but for others. You see in the Gospels that Jesus walked mile after mile after mile after mile to help other people. A great personal cost of his own energy and comfort, he put himself out for others. He did all that for others. Our interest in humility, he valued others above himself. Now, we've got here some very deep things. Jesus Christ, the God-man, the most precious person in the whole world who's ever lived, valuing other people above himself. That was his mind. You see how humble he was in verse 8. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, humbled himself. He made himself the lowest of the low. So therefore there was no one below, nothing below him, and nobody was below him. He looked upon the outcasts, the rejects, the prostitutes, the drunkards, the sinners, the unloved and the unlovable. He valued them all, every single one of them. He valued them. And our Savior, because he valued us so much, went, the second mile, and became obedient to death, even the death of a cross. When it says that Jesus was obedient to death, it doesn't mean to say that death was his master and he had to obey death. 
This rather obedient to death shows the extent to which he was willing to go to be obedient to the cross, the death on a cross. And the death on a cross was a horrendous thing. The cross, the crucifixion, was the, it was the stuff of nightmares. There was pain and agony and blood and guts and bones and skin being torn off. And Jesus went to the cross for the very reason to save us from our sin, to pay the price of our sin, because we could never free ourselves. We could never do enough to please God. We could never be clean and holy. So the Lord Jesus took all our sin upon himself on the cross so that we could be acceptable to God. But what made him go to the cross? Your value, my value, his obedience. He valued you above himself. Therefore, he put himself in the place of your suffering so that you won't have to suffer hell. Now that is some mind, and it's the mind of Christ. He loved you and me so much that he went to the cross. Why did the Apostle Paul write these deep verses? Did he write them just to make us think, wow, I've got to read this again and again and study it. Well, yeah, that always helps. But actually, Paul wrote this so that we would know how to have healthy relationships in the church. The greatest, well, maybe the greatest part, one of the greatest parts of the Bible is written for us to have the greatest relationships that we can have. This amazing piece of scripture showing the heart and the mind of Jesus was written to teach us how we can be one with each other. This is how the mind of Christ works. But it's so counter to the culture, isn't it? Valuing others above ourselves. No, we look out at the world and we say it's every person for themselves out there. It's the survival of the fittest. It's all about power and manipulation. It's about not letting people walk all over me or take advantage of me. Hmm. Remember this. This word of God to us this morning shows us the model life, how we should live. If we believe and practice these things, then we can have good, healthy relationships. Just a little sideline here. You, you can decide to practice these things, to have the mind of Christ. And uh, I know we will decide that. But that's your decision. You cannot decide for another person. So another person might decide they won't have this. And then there's problems. <laughs> but it's not your problem. It's their problem. Because if they've got issues with you, they probably have issues without you. <laughs> so, so there could still be difficulties because somebody else chooses not to have the mind of Christ. But that's their problem. You and me, let's decide to have the mind of Christ. Romans chapter 12, it says, If it is possible, and as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with all people. So, let's decide to have the mind of Christ. Let's experience these deep Christian things to affect our lives. 
And let's determine not to be selfish or self-centered so that our church may absolutely flourish and that this neighborhood and this community will hear about the Lord Jesus Christ to their salvation. Let's do that. And do you know what happens if we do do that? Well, here's what Jesus said. All those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And that's exactly what God did for Jesus in our last verses, verse 9, 10, and 11. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we have seen some things in your word this morning which have gone right to our hearts. And thank you for that because that's what we prayed before we spoke. Holy Spirit, living breath of God, breathe new life into our souls. Help us, we pray, having heard these things, to resolve to know them, to be grateful for our common Christian experience, to be determined to crucify our ego and self-centeredness, and to seek to have the mind of Christ, the way that Jesus thought in our lives. Lord, this pleases you, and we know that ultimately, you honor it. So hear our prayers, Lord, and see our hearts and work your will within us. Well, let's encourage one another about the things that we've heard this morning. Let, let me pray now as we close. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all and all God's people throughout the world evermore. Amen. Amen.